want to share with you today a message called uh, Why Prophecy Matters. Why does it matter? I heard someone say, and I love this quote, prophecy looks for the gold hidden under the dirt of people's lives. Prophecy looks for the gold hidden under the dirt of people's lives, and that was certainly been true in my life. When I was five years old, my grandmother uh, came over to pray for me because I had an earache. My, my, ear, my ear was healed, and then she prophesied over me. She said, I had a call of God on my life at five years old. I didn't know what that meant, but I never forgot that there was a call on my life. My mother never let me forget, even if I'd wanted to. She kept bringing, I remember, there's a call on your life. And then when I was 20 years old, I was far away from the Lord, but I'd given my heart to Jesus and recently. And the night I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, a man came up and he prophesied. And he said, uh, there's a call on your life. God's going to give you power. You're going to be a pastor, and you're going to prophesy to nations. And I knew I felt something in that. I didn't have any idea how that would play out. Almost immediately, a move of the Spirit happened on our campus, and my wife and I, at 20 years old, became the leaders of several hundred kids that were giving their heart to Jesus. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I just started doing what I knew to do, and I, and I, I led the, church, the, the budding young church there. And then at 27, I was invited to England for the first time, and I went down to Cobham, and I thought I'd see a bunch of reserved little uh, men of God in tweed jackets, and, uh, but it wasn't that way at all. And they were worshiping and prophesying and praying, and I was down with a guy named Gerald Coates. And, and a guy from New Zealand and a lady from Bristol had sent a note. Those two people prophesied over me, you will have power in your life, you will you'll be a pastor, and you'll prophesy to nations. Prophecy matters. Matters to me. Prophecy is more than future prediction. It's present revelatory proclamation. It's about God speaking to us by the Holy Spirit. Let's read these familiar scriptures in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 4. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for three things, strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I've found some definitions of prophecy through the years from people that I respect, one from David Blumgren. He said, prophecy is a declaration of a message from God not known by natural means, but by divine revelation, including prediction, as well as anointed proclamation. Graham Perrins, a Welshman, said this, prophecy is a living word from a living God to a living people. Prophecy is a living word from a living God to a living people. Prophecy matters. Prophecy matters. Let me give you four reasons that I think prophecy matters. Number one, prophecy is a priority among the spiritual gifts. Not more important, just a priority. Paul writes that we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, and that eagerly desire means long for, earnestly desire, be jealous over. It's to be passionate about desiring spiritual gifts. But then it goes on to say we are to pursue prophecy especially. 
long for, eagerly desire all the spiritual gifts, but especially the gift of prophecy, or that you might prophesy. Prophecy changes lives. A prophecy changed my life. Five years old, I hear a call to ministry. 20 years old, I'm a business major with an economics minor. I have a degree in elementary education, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm about to graduate. You heard of university students like that? They just keep going to school because they don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And then this man stands up out of nowhere and says, you're going to pastor a church, and you're going to prophesy to nations. Next thing I know, I'm in the middle of a revival on my campus. Hundreds of kids coming to the Lord. And I'm the oldest one. I'm 20 years old. I'm just getting married, and a church grows out of my home. The next thing I know, I'm going to England, and I'm going to New Zealand, and Australia, and Europe, and Canada, and Central America. And I'm going to all these places that I had never thought I would ever go and do. Prophecy matters. It certainly matters to me. You know, religion pushes people lower. Prophecy calls people higher. Religion rules, regulations, rituals sometimes can be beneficial, but sometimes they can just push people lower because you feel you can never do enough to please God. Prophecy looks at a young, stupid university guy and gives destiny. Prophecy looks through the eyes of a, lo a loving grandmother and says, my grandson has a call on his life. And she finds the courage to speak it. Prophecy matters. The second reason that uh, prophecy matters is it's a spiritual accelerant. It's like lighter fluid on charcoal. I don't know if you guys barbecue over here much. You don't have a lot of weather except for this week to do that. But I love to barbecue. Love to get my charcoal out there, and I love to douse it with lighter fluid and then throw a match on it, and whoosh, there go my eyebrows, there goes my hair. But I like, I like to see stuff blow up like that. I guess it's a, it's a guy thing. But prophecy sometimes is like that. It's like fluid on charcoal. What it does is it says it encourages us in our present. It encourages us in our present where we were. After I'd led the church for three or four years, I got real discouraged, and I thought I was terrible at it, and I wanted to give up. I wanted to quit. I remember telling my wife, June, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. I like the church, but I have a lot of problem with the people. I hadn't made the connection yet. That... And so I'm discouraged. I'm about to give up. I'm planning my exit strategy. A friend in Harrison, Arkansas, which is about 80 miles away, gets up in the morning and starts praying for me, not knowing why. And God says, drive to Russellville. Wayne's discouraged. And speak a word to him and tell him, don't give up. So this friend shows up at my house. Now, we didn't have social media then. We didn't have cell phones. We had, we had this. We'd get out and hitchhike, or we might have a Volkswagen van or something like that. But we would go actually go and see people without texting them first to see if it was all right. So he showed up at my house, and I said, I said Jay, what are you doing? And he said, well, you tell me. And I said, What's go what is going on? He said, the Lord told me to come and tell, give you a word. And What's the word? He said, don't give up. And I just fell to my knees, and I just said, thank you, Jesus. You, you saw, you loved me so much, you told my friend to drive 80 miles to tell me not to give up on the day that I was going to give up. Prophecy encourages us in our present. It helps us keep going. 
Prophecy comforts us in our past. I was at a meeting in Florida uh, not long ago, and there was a young man on the second or third row, and I looked at him. I just kept looking at his face. He had pain all over his face. And I thought, kept, you know, I couldn't get a word. I couldn't get a word. I thought, I want to encourage that guy. And finally, the Lord said, I want you to just tell him that his dad is proud of him. And I thought, anything more, Lord? Is No, that's it. So I had the young man stand up like I had these people stand up. And I said, all I hear is that I think the Lord wants you to know that your dad is proud of you. This young man fell over in a heap. He starts crying. He had been a real stinker. He had uh, messed up a lot, disappointed his dad, had been estranged from his dad. And he had gotten saved and had called and told his dad he had gotten saved. And he was on his way to come and try to make things right with his dad. His dad had a massive heart attack and died. He didn't get a chance to be reconciled. He, did, he wanted so desperately just to hear that his dad was proud of him. And here comes this guy that doesn't know him, and he said, the Lord wants you to know that your dad is proud of you. The Lord, the Lord helps us all the time in big and small ways. Prophecy comforts us about our past. It comforts us about our past. Prophecy edifies us toward the future. One night I was in Bristol, England, and there was a young girl with bad eczema on her hands and on her neck, and and she was about 13 years old, and I, and I called her out, and I said, uh, I want to pray for you. And, she, and I, was, I was holding her hands and eczema all over her hands and praying for healing. And as we were praying for her, her hands started to take on this purple hue. And I said, Lord, what's that? And he said, uh, I'm, there's a calling on her life for healing. You ever you see purple on people's hands, sometimes it means healing. And so I prophesied that she would be used to bring healing to people. Well, she took it seriously at 13. She started praying for people, and people started getting healed. It captured her. She is now 30-something years old. She's got three children, and she's a physician. And she does works in healing every day, not only in the usual parts of, of, of the art of medicine, she prays for people when it's appropriate, and she's seeing people healed. A 13-year-old girl wondering, I don't want anybody to see me because of this eczema. I'm embarrassed. I want to hide away. Can God use someone that looks like me? God uh, edifies us toward our future. Prophecy matters. Third reason prophecy matters is it's a powerful weapon to weld in this good fight that we are in. Paul speaks of the good fight we enlist in when we were born again in 1 Timothy 6, 12. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Prophecy helps us fight the good fight. There's a guy in our church that was a fireman, and his uh, wife was a beautician, very successful. He was a captain in the fire department. The Lord spoke to him, them both in prayer, separately. I'm calling you to go to Taiwan. Lord, it kept coming, it kept coming. We're having a prophetic presbytery in our church on a weekend, and he comes to me, and he says, Pastor Wayne, he says, uh, 
I really, really, really need to hear a yes from God or a no from God. He's asked me to do something that's very hard. And he, he said, promise me you won't say anything to these prophetic guys, as if I would. And I, and I said, I won't say a thing. He said, I've got to have a yes or a no. I can't have a maybe. This is too big if I respond to what I think God's saying. So on the last night, the last meeting, we're about to close down the meeting. And my friend Tom, who's on the presbytery team, stands up and he calls out Micah, who's in the very back. And he said, that man back there, what's your name? My name's Micah. He said, Micah, I wish I had more for you, but all I have is one word three times. It's yes, yes, yes. Micah and Cindy go to Taiwan. They, they, they close down their jobs. They sell their property in faith. They move to Taiwan. The first year, they didn't win a single person to the Lord. After a year, he's discouraged. And he pulls out that piece of paper, and he finds it, and it goes, yes, yes, yes. And it encouraged them, and they, and they stayed in the fight, and they turned around and said, we are not going to give up, Satan. We have a word from the Lord. God gave us a yes. From that point, now they've been there for 10 years, and they have led hundreds of people to Jesus. Hundreds of people to Jesus. And my friend Tom felt kind of silly because all he had was one word three times. Yes, yes, yes. Prophecy is a powerful weapon to fight the good fight that we're in. Is this making sense to you? Uh, the fourth reason that prophecy matters Prophetic impartation releases a greater anointing. Prophetic impartation releases a greater anointing. In 2 Kings 2, Elisha received a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Now, Elijah's anointing was to speak life where there was death. The biggest example is speaking in the Valley of Dry Bones, those dead bones to come to life. Well, it's interesting, uh, when he, his mantle, Elijah's mantle falls on Elisha's shoulders and he has a double anointing. And if you read in the Bible, Elisha has exactly twice as many miracles recorded as Elijah did. Something happened when that mantle from Elijah fell on his shoulders. A prophetic impartation happened and it increased the anointing. Now, I had been prophesying for a number of years, but one night down in Texas... My mentor, who was a prophet that was in the Latter Rain movement, a guy named Laddie, out of the blue, he just takes his coat off and he puts his coat around my shoulders. And he says, tonight, I impart to you the mantle that God has given me. And I, I can't explain it other than to say it just felt, I felt this whoosh go right down through my body. It was like a steel beam went through me and went into the ground and and from that point on, uh, I noticed a greater accuracy, a greater fluidity, a greater confidence since he laid hands on me and prophesied over me. Now, some people think the prophets are those crazy, weird guys like intercessors that are always doing their own thing. You have to kind of put up with them, but you kind of contain them over on a special room for a special night where nobody can see I, I beg to differ. I don't think it has to be weird. I think it's going to be encouraging and helpful. It's going to strengthen. It's not going to cause division. Uh, but I believe in impartation. I don't think a prophet should be separated out there. Everyone thinks you've got to be like John the Baptist, out there by yourself, eating locusts and having bad 
locust breath and things like that. They think you're always on your own. Well, I think, I think prophets should be like all the other gifts. They should be working in community and accountable in community and partnering in community with the other gifts. But I, th I believe impartation is something that, that accelerates that gift, like all the other gifts. Paul said to the Roman church, I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And that word means, impart means to transfer or to extend to. Impartation is more than merely sharing information. It's a transfer of gifts, calling, and anointings. More information doesn't necessarily make you a better minister. Sometimes we think if we just get a little more information, we'll be able to do things right. I was probably the most ill-prepared pastor ever in America. If there was an award given out, it would probably be to me. I was so unlikely to be a pastor. I, I was not prepared. I was a business major. My job was to get all the money I could as quick as I could and not go to jail. That was, my, that was going to be my job. God came and saw something greater in me than that. And he used my, my friend Laddie McDonough to impart this gift to me. Here's a helpful formula. Information without impartation can lead to stagnation. We know that knowledge can puff up and that love builds up. Laddie imparted his gift to me, one, because God told him to, but two, he loved me. He was a father in the faith. It's like every father wants to see their sons and daughters be successful. And with love in their eyes, they lay their hands on their kids in some fashion, and they speak blessing into them. At least it's what we ought to be doing. The other part of that... Uh, Formula is information with impartation can lead to transformation. My mentor put his coat on my shoulders and something changed. There was a shift in my confidence, an easier flow in the prophetic. Prophecy matters. Well, how do you, how do you show for spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, that it actually matters? It's not just some crazy charismatic people trying to draw attention to themselves. Paul told Timothy to do two things if you want these gifts of the Spirit. Number one, you've got to want it. You've heard coaches say to their players, do you want this, son? That's what my coach said to me. You've got to want this if you're going to win. You've got to want it. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 14. He said, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. When a believer eagerly desires to prophesy, he's drawn into a greater fluency in his prophetic gifting. The second thing we can do to show for spiritual gifts is just as fire needs oxygen to burn, believers need the oxygen of the Spirit to feed the flame that burns in us. What do I mean by that? Paul advised Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you through the laying on of my hands. Romans 12, 11 exhorts us not to be slothful in zeal, but be burning in spirit, serving the Lord. Well, how does that work? How do you fan into flame? How do you figure out how to be burning in zeal and not slothful? How do you do that? Well, I don't know if it'll work for everybody, but there's four things that I do, and you're going to think I'm a little crazy when I tell you what I do, but, but, but before you judge me too severely, try it. Try these four things that I do. I'm, I'm into four things today for some reason. These are things I do and things that you can do. 
Here's what I do to fan into flame the gifts of the Spirit. Number one, I pray out loud. That's not hard for Americans, a little more difficult for Brits, I think. Pray out loud. Help us. It helps you focus and subdue all the distracting thoughts that are pounding away so loudly in your mind. It connects you with the Lord in our spirit, and you breathe Him in through prayer. Psalm 142.1 says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead aloud. I pray aloud for mercy of the Lord. There's a time to pray quietly. This psalm was written when David was in a cave surrounded by people trying to kill him. David seemed like a whiner sometimes to his, his men. He's a crybaby. He does stupid stuff like strips down to his gym shorts and dances in front of things and stuff like that. And he was crying out to the Lord. He was praying out loud to the Lord. Lord, I'm surrounded. My enemies are all around me. Lord, help me. Sometimes I pray out loud. Fan into flame this gift that's in me. Let me be confident in my weakness, Lord. Make me strong. I pray these things out loud so that my inner voices, and there's a few of them, will not, will not talk me out of it. The second thing I do is I, is I sing to the Lord. I sing to the Lord. This is a worshiping church. Your songs have been sung around the world. You know what I'm talking about, how important worship is. It says in Psalm 71, 23, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. Every one of us that knows the Lord have been delivered. We've been set free. Even if you have a bad voice, you can sing with all your heart. You may have to get alone. I've got a friend named Ron who can't carry a tune in a paper sack. but he, That guy sings as loud as anybody I've ever heard. And unfortunately, he's got a big voice that carries, and he's, it's, it's awful, but it's beautiful. There's no one as passionate. I, I call him one of our lead worshipers in the congregation. He sings passionately with all of his heart. He just doesn't sing in tune very often. It's powerful to sing of the great things God has done for me. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He's cast the horse and rider into the sea. Make up a song. Sing about the things God's done for you. And before you know it, you won't be singing the blues. You'll be singing his praise. The third thing I do is I call on the name of the Lord. Jeremiah said, I call on your name, O Jehovah, from the lowest pit. From Lamentations 3. Corrie ten Boom, who lived her last few years in Arkansas because she expected to see a revival come to Arkansas. She prayed like this, and she puts this in her books. Hey, Jesus. I'm in trouble down here. Come help me. Hey, God, are you busy? Come down here. I need you now. And you know her story probably. She did incredible things because she had that kind of relationship where she would call on his name. She knew something that sometimes we forget. That name is above every name. The name of Jesus, even demons will tremble. The name of Jesus should be foremost in our focus in our life. I try to wake up in the morning and let my first word be, oh, Jesus. I don't always do it, but that's my goal. All through the day, sometimes I just like to say his name. I like to say his name. I like worship songs that aren't so much about us, but they're about Jesus. There's something about his name that changes things. 
The fourth thing I do is I cry out to the Lord. Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout or cry out loud to God with the voice of a triumphant shout. A few years ago, an Australian secretary sang a song called Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Let us sing power and majesty, praise to the king. When that first song came out and it really touched me, I'd wait until June was gone and no one was in the house and I would sing like I was going to bust a gut. I mean, I would, I would sing so loud. I was, I was like a rock star in, on, the, on the staircase. And I would sing so loud. And what happens, the louder I got, the more free I felt from the things that were bringing me anxiety or worry. There's a greater shout to come. People used to ask John Wesley, how do you gather these crowds? He said, it's simple, really. I set myself on fire people come and watch me burn I think it's time that we set ourselves on fire it's time that we fan into flame those gifts Now I've talked about prophecy but you're there's all kinds of gifts but it's time for us to fan into flame those gifts that God's given us but I want to say today because can I just say this prophecy is kind of the, a sexy term right now everybody and their dog is prophesying over somebody I think sometimes it's just sort of an imagination and they're calling it prophecy. And I'm, and I'm a little worried that it's, we're going to get so familiar with it that, that, that we won't realize how much it really matters, how much it really changes lives, and we, won't, we, and we won't think of it as the precious gift that it is. One prophetic word spoke the call on my life when I was five years old. Another prophetic word set the direction for my life when I was 20. Prophecy released the testimony of Jesus in me. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Prophecy encourages me in the here and now. Prophecy comforts me when I'm in pain. Prophecy edifies me, giving me hope and a future. He wants to do the same for you. King Solomon, the wisest man ever who ever lived, Proverbs 20 says, Ears that hear and eyes that see. The Lord has made them both. My friend Brady, who pastors a church in Colorado, prays for four things regularly, regularly for people who desire to move in prophetic gift. Lord, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to believe. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to believe. 